You're listening to the Mary Louise O'Donnell podcast. Nobody ever thinks they're going to get old. Well, we are, and we do get old, and we get frail, and we get feeble, and we need help. I began to learn this when my mother needed help at home, community care help. But I found there was huge gaps in the service. She's now in a nursing home, very well cared for, but there are also gaps there in relation to health care assistance. So we have to ask questions about who is going to care for us as we get old, when we are alone and when we are frail and feeble. These are big questions. I'm here this afternoon with Joseph Musgrave. Joseph is the Chief Executive of Home and Community Care Ireland. Joseph, just very quickly tell me, what exactly is Home and Community Care Ireland? Well, good afternoon, thanks for having me. Home and Community Care Ireland is the umbrella organization for at the moment, private home care providers. That's who make up my 85 members. Those 85 members provide care in the home to around 21,000 people and directly employ around 13,000 care staff. So when you say 81 members, do you mean 81 organizations under your umbrella? Essentially, the, that's really, the 80, the 80 members are pretty much composed of Bluebird Care, for instance, is one of the largest providers, and they have around 20-something offices. So they count, because they're a franchise network, I count them as 20 individual companies because the, the problems and the challenges and operation of Bluebird in, say, Galway is very different mm -hmm. to Bluebird in Dublin. What other um, organisations are under your umbrella, home care organisations? You will have small independents, private independent companies like, let's say, Heritage Home Care, which is in Dunleary. Mm -hmm. You have wholly owned networks like, say, Comfort Keepers, which is owned by a company that isn't in Ireland. Um, and large independent organisations like Irish Home Care, for instance, which is the largest independently owned Irish network. So you are the umbrella across many of these organisations which sit, sit under this umbrella and they are all over Ireland um, contributing to home care in the in the home obviously exactly for people but who need it yes I mean my members which we said around 80 they provide pretty much 30 percent of the home care that happens in Ireland today why do people constantly say that home care packages are fine but there A is not enough of them, you never get enough hours, people run in in the morning and then run out because they have to go somewhere else and maybe come back in the evening and people are then left alone during the day. That there's never enough hours in the day and there's never enough availability of home care staff. Well because it's kind of true is really the answer to that question and, and why is that the case? Well. It's a little bit technical, but I'll try not to bore everybody. Essentially, we have never defined in law what home care is, mm -hmm. nor how much you should be entitled to as a citizen or ordinary resident of the state. 
which means that at the moment it's the HSC who determines both if you need home care, mm -hmm. if you're going to get it, and how much of it you're going to get. It's rationed because... So you take your brief from the HSC. So the HSC says this person's got two hours in the morning and three in the evening, then you are one of the people that they contact and you provide that. As well as maybe the HSE themselves, but you provide that. Exactly. One of my members would be contacted and say, look, we're giving three hours to, you know, Mrs. Murphy, off you go. It's three hours. And my member organization would have no real power to say, we've talked to her, we think she should have five. Now, they often do do that and have that conversation, but the HSE will turn around and say, we have budget for three, she's getting three, mm. get on with it. Yes. So you d you're not in you're not independent in that sense. You're independent in the people who work for you, but you're not independent in making an a, an assessment of what people need. Precisely, unless the person and there's probably around seven to eight thousand people in the state who do this who fund their home care privately. Those people would come to us, and uh -huh. it's up to them. They say, "I want ten hours." We give them ten hours. My but members. that's very expensive. Very expensive. Yeah, I mean, probably cheaper than al some al alternatives like residential care or going into a hospital, but still not cheap. Okay, well, let's, let's take something more general now. I mean, I am in my early 60s, and my mother is 96, and she is being cared for in the Holy Family Residence by the Sisters of the Poor. And I experienced three years of home care before she went there, um, as she was getting more feeble. So I got to know the system as such. And but not only that, I became aware because I found myself in the situation of us as an aging population getting older, needing more care, getting more frail, getting more feeble, feeble um, families abroad, daughters and and sons not being able to care or fill in the spaces. Now, are we as a government prepared for that? No, we're not. You hit the nail on the head of the, when you were talking about families and that informal, what we would call informal care network. That is still incredibly strong in Ireland, much more so than in other countries, but it is declining. And it's not, that's not a judgment on people not doing it, that's a statement of fact that more people, more women are working, that's a good thing. More older people to some degree are working, but also volunteering more than any almost any other European country, around 40% of over 65s volunteer. So people are busy, and so that nexus of people that would, in past times, done this work, are no longer around, or they're busy doing other things, and so we have this gap. The government has said, in order to try and meet this gap, that they will introduce a statutory scheme for home care by 2021. Mm -hmm. This would define for the first time, back to what I was saying, it would define what home care actually is. Who's eligible for it? Is it just older people? Is it people with disabilities? What are the eligibility criteria? And how are we going to fund it? And unfortunately, they're very likely to miss that target because the work seems to be far behind where it would need to be. Um, and I say that sitting on top of this umbrella organization. And part of my task representing these providers, but also the clients who receive these services, receive home care, is to try and make sure that what the government brings in is fit for purpose and is informed. Can you describe the average home care needs or the average home care package of a person in early stages of need and in the later stages of need? Can you, from your experience? Yeah. Well, 
the typical, the, the most common person receipt of a home care package is older, mm-hmm. over 65. Unfortunately, the majority of people that my members would care for are not in the early stages of needing home care. Typically, a home care package is given at essentially a point of crisis. Either the person has been admitted to hospital mm-hmm. or the GP has been phoned because they've had a fall, but they kind of recovered but aren't recovering quick enough. So then the home care package is usually awarded at that point, which means that the person is not in as not in as healthy a state as they might have been. We're not very good at early intervention stuff, at that community stuff of spotting that person may be a bit vulnerable. If we give them one or two hours and help them with key critical tasks, maybe they won't have that fall. So it tends to be someone who's older, someone who's suffered some sort of fall or acute event mm-hmm. with admission to hospital. Four to six hours of the amount of home care the HSC typically would give, although that is declining, that average amount of home care. Why is it declining? Because the, they're spreading the budget. So at the moment you have around a wait list of 6,000 people who need home care, 6,000 across the state or so. Uh, the you know rather depressing. And how are they being cared for at the moment if there's a waiting list? What's happening to them as the waiting list goes down to 5,900? Well, the 5,900, so if it goes down from 6,000 to 5,900, those 100 people are getting cared for, but 5,900 aren't. No, but how, but that's my point. Uh, who is caring for them in the meantime? Well, no one really. I mean, they, they will still see their GP. Um, some of them may be lying on hospital beds, waiting for that home care package. Um, and some people will be at home, alone, on the phone to family saying, I need help. It's kind of desperate, but that's the situation we're in. And we have, because we've never defined home care in law here, there's no legal basis really to challenge that and to say to the HSE, we haven't said there's a minimum or maximum waiting time for a home care package, something I want to see change. We should say that you know someone should wait no more than X days or X weeks to get home care. It's the cheapest way of caring for these people. I see this also in the um, nursing home because you always bring your experience, you know, but most of the home care package and now in the nursing home that the nuns tell me in the nursing home that they haven't enough health care assistance. You know, not only could we not find the hours when when mom was at home, um, we just they just wouldn't give us the hours when as mom got more frail and more feeble. But I'm now seeing in the nursing home the same thing that there is not enough health care assistance. Now, I know there's a problem with consultants, and I know there's a problem with keeping our doctors, and I know there's a problem with our nurses going to Dubai. But let's bring it in with the health care assistants, who in my experience do a lot of the heartbeat work, you know, from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night, of the turning and the twisting and the feeding and the hand-holding and the bringing and the bringing back and the bedding. Do you know? So tell me about that. Is that also an enormous problem, the healthcare assistance, the actual people on the ground to actually do the work? Is there a problem there? There is. And there's a problem in how they're paid and how they're treated, essentially. They're the unhung, unsung heroes, really, of Irish society in many ways. Healthcare assistants will do a plethora of things from cooking dinners to showering people to being companions to clean to all sorts of things. I mean, it's really a you know, menagerie of tasks that they do and perform. The problem that we have are kind of the, there's a few big ones. One, there's obviously not enough healthcare assistants. Why? Well, 
you know, we we will we think that getting someone to debone meat or someone to coach sports teams is more important than caring for people in our communities. That is to say that we've, we let those people in from outside the EU to work here, but we don't let people who want to care in. I think that's a problem. We also So how do people who want to care get in then? So usually they would get in either because they're a student or they're a spouse of someone who's an Irish citizen are really the only two routes. And then they drift into home care work. They would, essentially, or they may have done it in their their home country. A lot of students who come from abroad will be training to be nurses, Mm -hmm. and so they'll do the work of a healthcare assistant whilst they're going through their studies. And that's interesting because that's a career path they're carving for themselves. What is interesting is that the way the HSE pays for this work, for a healthcare assistant to do the job that they do, is it's not set out that there's variable rates of pay. So anyone listening to this is probably familiar that you start a job, you usually start at the low end of the wage scale, you put in experience, you put in, you get more training and you move up the wage scale. That doesn't happen in home care. You can be doing it for six months or six years and you're gonna get the same flat rate of pay in most circumstances, it might vary a little. But the HSE just asked for one rate for home care. And I think that's an issue because we're not saying that we then value specialised dementia skills or specialised skills mm-hmm. in handling people. Mm-hmm. So we're not developing it into. Or a you real have career. no trajectory. Exactly, you have no trajectory. So we have the issue of we. I think we prioritise. We we have we have the, our priorities mixed up with who we're letting in like the demonic. And it's under example. a particular visa scheme, isn't it? Exactly. The critical skills. Exactly. Yes. And so I think that should be deemed a critical skill. We need to meet We don't demands. call it a critical skill. So At they the don't, moment, we don't. They don't they're, not they're not eligible. Exactly. They're not eligible. Okay. But why do you keep on talking about people from outside coming in? What if, what if you were living in, we'll say, in a, in, in, a, in a town in Mayo, and you were retired, and you wanted to give 10 hours or 12 hours per week, you know, as a home care assistant, or even in a local nursing home? What happens there? Why don't... I mean, Irish people might, be, might want to do this. Why do we constantly call it about people coming in to do it? Nothing wrong with that now, but that there isn't a balance on the other side as well. Maybe there is, or is there? Well, I think I view it as the, there's the outside, there's the, the inside, and there's the doing now bit. So the outside bit we've talked about, the doing now bit we've talked about a little bit as well, making it a career, a trajectory, and improving the conditions really that people operate under. And there's, there, there's more there, but the inside bit, unlocking those people who want to help their communities thrive and be the beating hearts that we know them to be. So we we punish that good nature a couple different ways. And I do mean the word punish. So someone's on social welfare say, um, for a variety of reasons, they will have their social welfare entitlement docked for the whole day if they just do a half hour of home care. I think that's madness. Mm. If you're in a pension, and you, you'll notice I said 40% of the over 65s volunteer in, in this country. It's very high. If they want to be able to do home care, and obviously it would have to be the right circumstances, but we would dock their pension for that too. So when we look at the inside bit and unlocking more people within Ireland doing this, essentially we're saying, nice idea, but we're going to punish you through the taxation system for doing that. We're not going to make this something that we think is a social good. We're not going to reward it by saying, great, we're not going to dock you in any, in any way. I wish we did do that. 
but we don't. But how does that then fit? I mean, it seems contradictory to be carrying on like that when you have 6,000 people on a waiting list. Well, it is. It is exactly that, because really, listen, and this is where I think you asked me at the start, is, is government sort of up to the job of, of meeting this challenge? And right now they're not. They're, there's not just... And we're not maybe going to go into the, some of the operational problems that underlie some of the issues that people in the industry are familiar with, but we're not even being creative. And simple solutions. You know, I talked to the social the Department for Social Welfare. And I said, "Can we look at this social welfare issue and you know think about a different solution?" And they basically sent me a letter back saying, "We think it might cost some money. No thanks. Not even a conversation." And here, and I, what is government for? But to have that conversation, they're telling me as a representative of 21,000 clients, 85 member organizations. No, we're not interested even talking to you about a potential creative solution. And I think that's I think that's a dereliction of duty on a government that they're not willing to have that. Well, I'm interested in talking to you about a creative solution. So start telling me about solutions here now because we have a situation where people from um, outside Europe cannot come here under the critical skills guys. We have a situation where those who are here have no trajectory in relation to um, healthcare assistance. They may be on the same salary for 10 years. And we have a situation where people in Ireland who may be retired and in the right circumstances um, would love to give back to their community and, and love the activity because nobody likes to retire totally and would love to give back their um, to their community and they are penalised is what you're saying. So talk to me um, how you could go about, is that the legislation you're talking about or is that some kind of a movement that we need to change um, because you're talking to a politician here now and um, is that something that we could look at and that we could actually get a force behind and change? Yes, I mean, so I'm I'm delighted that we met because you're one of the few voices I've heard wanting to come up with creative solutions. I think that's great. And that's but not just also, me saying it. But it's come from my knowledge, my pathology that I've learned over the last five and six years. You've if seen it. I've seen it. And I think that is a great grounding as to how you can change things because you're coming at it organically or didn't learn it in a policy form. I learned it on the ground, mm -hmm. both in the home and now in the nursing home. And I've done some work around around the country on it. So you tell me now how you would like me and you to go about changing this. So I think we need to do a couple things. So we need to see if people in power, in social welfare, in the Department for Health, are willing to have a discussion with us about some creative solutions. I think that's number one, because that, that means that the inside and outside bits we're talking about, the critical skills, visa situation, also some of the social welfare penalization that's happening um, and maybe there's ways we can change the current tax credits maybe there's stuff we can do so I think that's number one and maybe we can do something around that but I do think we need to change a step change in the way we're talking about these issues and the way we're harnessing the the public's appetite to try and solve the problem so I do think there needs to be a form of movement that is about making our making sure our communities continue to thrive because ultimately the reason that we have home care is because we think the best place to care for people is in their mm. own communities in their own home and that's really about saying we value community we value people staying there and that i think is the key point for us to try and harness because it's yes about hcas yes it's about home care but really what we're talking about is 
a small village, a small town, a big city, how do we make that a community, not just somewhere where you sort of live, breathe, eat, and off you go again? It's not a factory. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, there's something there where I think we're talking, and we've started a conversation, about maybe there's a way we can build this into some sort of, we're addressing this stuff. I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but I do believe in grassroots engagement. I do believe in trying to talk to people. I agree and, and, and want to harness that force for positive change because I think it comes from more than just technocratic solutions over the part okay. of it. Okay, how can the healthcare assistants force the change or bring a force, the wrong word, but bring around a force of change? How can they do that? Because they haven't really got an organization, you know, and I see. I, 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 they come and go like the wind, you know, on onto the floor. Mum is on, so they come and I can know they come and go all over the home, and they come and go up and down the roads of Ireland, you know, giving and um, and um, minding and feeding. How how can they become themselves um, a force? Well, what would we do there f- for them to actually have a voice, or them to become a, ch- a force for their own change? Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, I, to be honest, I'm not sure exactly what the answer is yet. Mm. I think when I look at my own organization, for instance, I see that a lot of my umbrella organizations, they hold a lot of knowledge, but they also hold a lot of people. These aren't just anonymous organizations. They're run by, you know, Comfort Keepers is run by someone called Brie Gould. She's an ex-nurse. She knows this job in and out. So part of this is how do we work with the existing people who who operate day to day and see these issues um, and that's a way to start a dialogue of a form you know in where people work I think that's part of it but I also think that part of it is is going into communities and, and people like us going into communities and saying trying to make it easier for healthcare assistants to access us because they're spending a lot of time traveling from point A to point B doing their job. I think the job of people like us who are working in policy is to try and go out there and make it easier for them to engage. And I, I, and I, I don't think what we don't need to ask them necessarily to form big organizations and to lobby for change, although they can feel free to do that if that's what they feel they need to do. But it's how do we capture their voice? How do we capture their concerns? My youngest brother works as a carer himself. So I hear this very often from him when we sit and we have a chat and we go for a walk or whatever we do or go hang out and play Xbox. He will tell me just about the job and where he thinks it might go. And, you know, so. So it's not as if you're not being informed, but you're the new chief executive. And have you, uh, on, on, with your umbrella organizations, have you got them together? Are you going to get them together to talk these things through? Because everybody knows what the problem is, you know, and everybody, and there are many different and varying solutions to the problem, um, both legislatively and creatively and practically. And where are you in relation to that? Or have you just started that journey now that you want to talk to all of, because you've access to an, an enormous amount, as you say, people who work on the ground. Where are you in relation to what you think the way forward should be? Yes, yeah, so where I've got to is you can see that I've tried to get a conversation going with government. That re- didn't really lead anywhere. But have you tried to get a conversation going with your organisations so under your umbrella? So now that's, I mean, I've started that through 
the I, I have a monthly sorry it usually happens once every three months I have a meeting with my members so I ask the member organizations to come together to tell me their concerns that's been useful and it's useful for the members to share experience to talk about the organization HCCI my organization had the first ever meeting outside of Dublin two weeks ago when I took it to Galway so one of the things I've done is try and move that member forum out of Dublin so I hear more one of the things when we started talking was maybe there's a way of going out further into communities yes I can say to my members come along but it's almost more than that it's, it's related to that but it's it's saying and this is I think one of the things I've been talking to you about is maybe there is an appetite maybe there is an appetite out there to have public meetings to hear their concerns because I think part of grassroots engagement which is what this really is is not me coming to or you, know, you and I going to these people saying here's how we think this thing should work it starts by saying tell us we think these are the issues what do you think they are but how do we solve them because some of it might just be a step change in how we recognize and talk about healthcare assistance part of it is also going to be things around paying paying more paying more sensibly in terms of a logical career so I don't have all the answers but yes and I know it's a very complex issue my interest in it Joseph is the whole area of the healthcare assistance uh, and their a how they employed here how they're not penalized here their work trajectory here and how they can be used brilliantly you know to and how those who live in the community can be used brilliantly in the community and not penalised for looking after aspects of the community as people age. And the reality is, and I keep saying it in the Senate, that we are getting older. We are getting older and we are getting older and we are getting older and we are well in getting older. But at some stage we are going to get frail and feeble and need help. How much does it cost to keep somebody in a nursing home per week and how much does it cost, the average now, um, um, uh, in, in their own home? So the average in the own home is probably, the figures are a little bit old, so this is sort of top of my head stuff. It's around 300 a week or so to keep them at home. It's around double that. Oh, it's more than that. It's, it's about 1,200. Well, there you them. go. Yeah, there you go. Um, and so then it's more yeah. again if they're lying yeah. in a hospital bed. Yeah. Those 6,000 people we talked about in a waiting yeah. list, yeah. it's more than that again. It's you know it's probably around you know a thousand a day almost. I mean there is a conversation to be had too about the fit does the right you know uh, and and that's maybe not a conversation for today. My conversation with you today is about health care assistance here, on the way here, and and retired here if you like. That is what and the trajectory and then it became some kind become some kind of a career, and the force that would be needed behind that to maybe galvanize the thought process behind that and how that can be changed in my in my knowledge of this and in my experience of this whole area I'm not romantic enough to believe that when people are really frail and very very unwell that they can stay at home some people are not in a position to stay at home the house mightn't be conducive to stay at home but it is always their wish if you can that you stay in your own home it's a better place to be and, and to be fair to the government they have tried to do certain things like um, retirement villages like you know organizations and within the well Margarita Solon did it down in um, in Nace and the government have followed suit in many places 
I've been in Malahide, I've been in Limerick, and I have been in Ballyfermot, where you know the the retirement villages were built within the community. People had been reared and reared families in and lived in, and the services were coming in in there. But it's not always going to be like that, and there's not always going to be that possibility as well. Do you think that isn't our job really to give people an option? if they're well enough to stay in their own home and that there should be enough healthcare assistance and enough people available, even in a community hub, that there are people there who are not going to be penalised, as you say, with social welfare, are not going to be penalised with their pension if they were to give that 15 hours a week or 10 hours a week. Isn't that really what we're, the core of what you're trying to say here? I mean, quite simply, yes is really the answer to that. You'll, I think that um, one of the ideas you just mentioned there, the idea of some sort of community hub of people who want to help out, who want to do some work, I think that's a great idea. And I think it's that sort of thing. We talked before about the amount of tasks a healthcare assistant is asked to do. I don't think, you know, if someone is a tremendous cook or retired, they love to cook, they love to bake, they want to they help out a little bit, you know, one of the things when we first started talking was the power of song with people who are older particularly and how it it can sort of almost revive somebody mm -hmm. um, like as it did my grandmother when she was in nursing home I mean she was born in Peru and so when someone spoke to her in Spanish she was she also spoke English mm -hmm. but she was actually native really in Spanish when they spoke to her in Spanish like my father could it would instantly change her mm -hmm. her dementia would drift it was almost wash off her the basket of skills you have in that sort of retired community to engage with these people. You could have a healthcare system go in in the morning and help with the difficult job of maybe sort of making sure that the person is showered and up and whatever, and then have someone go in who sort of, you know, can help cook breakfast, who's a companion, who wants to Conversationalist. be there and conversation. I think we could be much more creative about it. It seems to me that in Ireland we are very, very good as volunteers. We really are marvellous. I mean, in some places don't open their doors without the volunteers and the, the lights don't stay on without the volunteers. But there is a time when you're being a volunteer changes, you know, and, and that just ekes into, well, actually, this is a sort of a semi-job here because volunteers can come and go and you really need the consistency then of the job. And that's the bit where people need to get some kind of a payment or remuneration and not be penalised, both here in this country and, of course, those who come in from, from abroad. What do you think you and I should do now? So I think the, the more familiar stuff in a way to me is that, you know, getting your help to go and see the relevant ministers in health and social welfare about some of these issues. I do think that we probably ought to sort of hit the streets as it were and go and talk to communities about some of the ideas they want to see because one of, one of my fears is the statutory scheme for home care is going to be developed but it's going to be developed just by policy people and not informed by a grassroots discussion I think we could help start that and we could go in and we could have a couple public meetings and we can see yes hear, hear the concerns but see we want to be positive what are positive changes positive ideas we could make and then package that up and bring that into the process so we can say here's some stuff that we've gone out and we've we've heard from people we've listened to them 
and here's what there's an appetite for up and down. Uh, has the HSE done this? Has it done any big surveys on um, staff within home care or staff within HSE or healthcare systems within um, nursing homes? Has it, has it done it? As far as I know, they haven't yet. I think they're looking, they're funding a, uh, a survey into healthcare assistance um, online. online which is fine but you also have the barrier to entry of mm. how online are you you know are you a native english speaker mm. so it's as far as i know nobody has done the sort of grassroots engagement we're talking about right now which is actually going face to face and meeting people mm. and well do you think we should set up some um public meetings around the country about this that would involve healthcare assistants coming and sitting and telling us and talking to us and uh, about the problem, not the problems, but about issues that can be solved if we were to be both legislative, financial, and creative. Well, three people might show up, or three hundred might. I think yeah. we ought to, and I think it's. But it's it's not just it's it is the healthcare assistant, but it's also that active retired. It's also those yes. community. It's sort of yes. When I and it's also families who are worried about the future for their parents yes. because they live in other countries. And you've also yeah. got sorry. To, I know we talk a lot about older older people, mm -hmm. but you also have a lot of younger people who are have some sort of disability, have mm -hmm. to stay at home. Who get? I mean, one of my best friends growing up in Scaries, uh, Declan was in a wheelchair couldn't talk but he was a great messer and he got a lot of home care because his parents were determined to keep him at home and so there's also mm -hmm. the young in our in our communities who you don't just hide them away they're part of the community yeah. it's it's that whole spectrum I think and they need life they need life they need life them. and they have a lot of life to give you see on another just before we finish on another trajectory I am a great believer in the arts I, I worked in the arts all my life from the time I was five years of age and still are in one way working with it and I, ca I, I sometimes think that it's so much to offer it is so much to offer that we don't tap we do we're a wonderful arts community and we're great at arts and it's our part of our tradition and part of our festivals and the greatest poets and playwrights and dancers in the world and greatest painters as well world class for an island our size but I often think that we are not very creative about our combinations of using the arts young artists young musicians young dancers within our elder community and that it is not only a now and again but it's a major process if there's a medical process so too is there a creative process so guy did this in in america and he used the creative process within aging communities and it has worked so well that they have started orchestras and bands now of course i'm talking about people who are capable of that um uh, it's uh, his name is tim carpenter Mm -hmm. should have a look at what he has done in Los Angeles um, with Engage Aging and where he actually took people who had played an instrument or were good at, at, at art or were you know good at dance and, and that was the moment that was the actual platform which they came into this nursing home and of course it just took off within people who are capable of doing it we, we piecemeal things and it should be a major part of every art student who actually studies art or music or drama or painting part of that should be that they spend time with elders in the home in communities or now it may be happening 
but not in the way it should. It's happening, as I say, on a kind of a generous basis, or maybe somebody thought about it, but it should be statutory. Hey, well, I, I, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, without making this a party political broadcast for my members, I have some members who who are creative mm. and will do days out. They don't get paid for this. They get paid to deliver an hour of home care. So they will take people out of their homes, get them on a bus, go somewhere, Wonderful. see something, arts, painting, whatever it is. And I have members experimenting with this and they do it because they care. Well, I am suggesting that the government through the Department of Culture Heritage and the Department of Education, that should be an absolute requirement that if you're in the College of Art and Design, that if you are in an orchestra, that if you are a chamber orchestra, that if you are learning to dance, that you are whatever your artistic background is, in, as a learning process, that part of that should be um, dealing with our elders and calling them their elders because it doesn't matter whether they're 65 or 105 or um, 45, it's, it's, people can age quickly because of their situation and I think it should be part of our elders and our elder community. I know it is but it is if you get a creative mind around it like your people who are you're expressive but I'm talking about the department you know of arts departments and the arts councils and that like I've never heard chamber orchestra come into a nursing home. I think you're right but I think we could be broader I think w that community hub idea you had if people who study the arts we're going to the community. Have to. You have this thing. Um, I think it was called Bounce. It was a it was a nightclub for people with learning disabilities. Brilliant. People of all ages. Now I think there was a controversy because I think one one person unfortunately was refused. But the idea that back to my example, growing up in Scaries, you have also young people who want to access the arts, and you know if if they're just locked mm. in their homes and. But if you're inviting and saying that everyone who's doing the arts, part of that is, is going into the community, whether it's a transition year module, whether it's during your college course, you're going into communities. It, it, this is the sort of conversation I think we want to have and that I think some technocratic consultations miss out. And not only that, I know there are people around this country in every town and village doing this. Young, middle-aged and old people doing this. I just think they should be championed and I think that they they should be given the facility maybe even creative Ireland I was you know might be maybe doing this but it's something we could find out or how do you encourage that or how do you put it on a long-term basis that it just didn't happen once a year that it happens every Tuesday or it happens every fortnight or this is a process that's ongoing because there are wonderful people who want to live in the community broadband or no broadband <laughs> who want to go back and live in the community and of course the green Ireland is very evident do you know about not yeah. living in the big high-rise cities and they have such gifts to give but sometimes they forget to go up the long avenue where the home is you know the, the, yes. the, the, the where the nursing home is and give it there because the people cannot get the community, or they may be frail of frail of body, but not frail of mind, and also in homes. And what's to stop the community coming together within homes and enjoying something like that? So I know I've gone on to another track, but it's not really because in the end you want to have creative solutions for the H for your healthcare assistance, mm -hmm. and you want to use creativity as the model to actually uh, propel. Uh, you know, a life force forward when you can't get out the door. I couldn't agree more. Are you? Do you feel that you'd like to put a bit of? You, you're a new chief executive. 
I you're am. young. Well, you're young, <laughs> and you were you have a huge background, don't you? In um, I worked a lot. I worked on the gay marriage campaign in England and Wales for several years, helping make that law. Um, I then worked um, for a communications consultancy in London and New York. Um, I moved back from New York to take this job because I felt I could make a difference. And it was you know, my mother works in home care. My brother does too. So there was a there was a family connection that made it real to me. Um, and so it's it, it's more than a day job. It's a it, it's trying to hopefully come up with with some solutions. Working with people like you and others. Well, I'll be guided by you. I, and you come from a very good background of change. And there's nothing wrong with change, and it can be a force for great creativity and great joy. So uh, let's try. So I think the first thing we need to do is hold a public meeting somewhere in Ireland, invite people who work in the area of healthcare assistance to come to the meeting, and those in the community who have something to offer that and maybe being penalised by it and have a look and just and listen, see how far we can get. So it's a start. We have to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. So we might as well start. I agree. Let's do it. Okay. So I think if people look out on the net, we'll find out what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. But it's going to be over the next two months. Yeah. We'll post stuff online. Okay. We'll get that message out there. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you. You're listening to the Mary Louise O'Donnell podcast.